This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. Thursday, October 5th. And what are we celebrating today in Philly? Celebrating the victory in a short series against the Marlins, a short wild uh, wild card series that we will talk about in detail. Uh, the Bet Rivers uh, Network, of course, brings us this great podcast today. Don't forget to download the app, and uh, we're going to go over some picks a little bit later. It's been a very rewarding season for me using the Bet Rivers app, and you should be using it too. Our producer, Darren. Will not be with us again today. I had a rough week, a little under the weather, so wish Darren well. He was in the hospital for a few days with a little COVID situation. And uh, I talked to him a little bit last night, and uh, he he doesn't have uh, full speech yet, so he's still a little bit out of it. So hopefully uh, Darren will be able to be well enough to join us next week. Uh, but we will carry on. Now, uh, hopefully you enjoyed our last podcast. The uh, one-on-one conversation with Angelo Catelli was the second time that we've done a conversation with Angelo right here on the Bet Rivers Network. And uh, this one, I think, was even more enlightening than the first one. And it was really fun to do it. I love talking to Angelo. He did this one from a vineyard in Napa Valley where he's been vacationing. So if you haven't heard it, please go back and, and listen to it. You can get uh, we're all streamed here so you can catch up on our last podcast, which we did Tuesday, October uh, 3. Uh, check it out. Uh, so today. Uh, Let's start, obviously, with the current. And the current is the Philadelphia Phillies. A quick two-game sweep of the way, way overmatched Miami Marlins. Um, And they were overmatched, basically, because of the Phillies' one-two punch starting pitching, uh, Zach Wheeler and and Aaron Nola. So uh, this Saturday, the series everybody has been waiting on, the Atlanta Braves, 6.30 on Saturday and 6.30 on Sunday, be on TBS, the first two games in Atlanta. And the the Phils will most likely have to go with Ranger Suarez against Spencer Strider in game one. Now, on the face, that looks like a little bit of a mismatch because the Phillies really have to win one game in Atlanta. Now, they have Zach Wheeler for game two versus Max Freed. And then coming home, the Phils may have a big advantage if Nola can stay pitching the way he has been pitching. Uh, the Brave staff beyond Strider and Freed is very questionable and uh, very thin. So if the Phillies can steal one in Atlanta, come back here and get that massive home field advantage, which really overwhelmed Atlanta last year. Now, I know they're a little better team this year with 105 wins or whatever they had, uh, and their offense is incredible. Uh, but again, this, this Citizens Bank ballpark atmosphere really reduces teams and you saw what it did to the Marlins. I mean, the Marlins were completely unprepared for it. They're very thin as it is, and they just got overwhelmed. You can see their pitchers were just straining to to, to get pitches to, to to the zone. They, they were all over the place most of the time. Uh, you know, the first starter was in, in the 80s by the fourth inning. 
Uh, and it's just atmosphere. You're, you're, if you're an opponent playing in this atmosphere, you're just trying so hard to succeed against that, just that, uh, that volcano of sound that's coming at you. Um, so let's look back at the Miami series again, Will or Nola. 13 scoreless innings in game one last year. They uh, had 13.2 scoreless inning, uh, giving up one run this time. So <laughs> amazing performances by both of them. And, you know, I know people are really nervous about Nola in general, uh, but uh, he's got some really good stats early on in the series. Let's look at Wheeler first. Wheeler's playoff ERA with the Phillies, 2.55. He's had seven starts in the postseason. Now we're talking about the postseason. Seven starts during that time, and, and his ERA in those seven games is better than the likes of Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander. That's in the first seven starts. So he has produced in a playoff setting right away for the Phillies. And he's become the, the biggest, really, the most valuable starting pitcher or free agent signing in baseball. He is making $24.5 million right now in an era where pitchers are getting a lot more than that. He's in the fourth year of a fifth-year deal that he signed with the Phillies back in 2018. We'll be talking about next year, uh, what they're going to renew him at. They're not going to let him go. And now they have a decision to make on renewing Nola, and he can solidify that uh, with uh, great pitching performances from this point on in the playoffs. Since 2018, this is on Wheeler now, no pitcher with at least 100 starts matches his 3.28 ERA. He has been a really consistent performer, except for, for one part last year where it looked like he got tired out as they went into that series with Houston. He has been a stalwart. In game one of any postseason series, he has thrown 20 innings and have given up one run. So he gets you off to a really good start. Tuesday, six and two-thirds, get five hits and one run. 2022 wild card series, first game, six and a third, give up two hits. And then the 2022 NLCS, seven innings, one hit. And you can't really ask for more than that. And he was definitely the story in game one. Now we go to game two. Aaron Nola, the one everybody fears, whether he's going to have it or not. He's had it more times than not. I mean, let's face it. We have a tendency to remember the games where he doesn't have it, where he's given up home runs. But in the playoffs, he's been pretty good. Four clinching games he's pitched in since last year. It's a game that clinches either the pennant or the division or, or the wild card or whatever. Two in the regular season, two in the wild card clinchers. Four clinching games since last year. He's given up one run in 27 innings in those games with an ERA of 0.33. So for the people that have memories that he doesn't pitch well in the playoffs, you got to revisit that because those stats are pretty amazing. Um, last night, it's interesting because even his own team sometimes, his own coaching staff, doesn't have 100% confidence in him. Because if you noticed last night, there were three different guys that warmed up during the course of that game last night. When he, had a, when he got a guy on base, when there was a guy on set, whatever the circumstance was, they immediately had somebody uh, in the bullpen up. And he made pitches. I don't know if he notices that or not. But he made pitches enough to get out of the inning to make that guy in the bullpen sit down. And then finally, uh, they, they went and got him late in the game. Um, 
you know, he's earned the respect at this point. But I guess even this coaching staff worries that when he gets to the third time in the lineup against somebody, something's going to go wrong. And I get it. Uh, all right, so let's look at some of the highlights of this two-game series with uh, the Miami Marlins. I found it was interesting last night. I mean, listen, you can if you look at these lineups, you can tell that Miami is completely overmatched. They they don't have the offense that can compete with this Phillies lineup. And the only thing that was going to hold them in this series was to have great pitching. And uh, they had two decent left-handed starters going against the Phillies, which is probably what you want to do against their left-handed power. But both those guys were just overwhelmed by the crowd. You could just tell that the this crowd had them in the palm of their hand and they, and they couldn't produce like they needed to produce. And Miami just can't score enough runs to make it interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I had to laugh at a guy like Zach Chisholm or uh, uh, Jazz Chisholm who spouts off his mouth about how outerworldly he is and didn't get a hit in the series. Dude, you got to, <laughs> this is the first time in the playoffs, man. You know, your team has been dreck over the last couple of years. That's going to come back and bite you. And it certainly did with uh, Jazz Chisholm, now a center fielder for the Marlins. All right, highlights of the two-game series. Let's start with what I thought was a big moment. And it was, and it always goes to Bryce Harper, who, who creates these moments that jacks everybody up, including his own team. Uh, he scores from first on that play, running through a stop sign, where he probably didn't even look at the third base coach. The, the play's right in front of him, and he throws off his helmet. He goes, there's no way anybody's going to keep me from scoring here. And, and he's like a bull in Pamploma. Like, he just comes around third base, and he's determined to get that run, and he, he does it. He does it 99% of the time. Now, when you score that run and you jack up the crowd, yeah, that's one thing. But you jack up your own teammates, that's another thing. Like, your teammates look at that and go, my God, this dude really wants to win. We have to match that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of energy, this take-no-prisoners attitude that the guy has. That translates to a team. There are 25 other guys in that, uh, that dugout, uh, dugout that are looking at that, including a pitcher. Oh, man, he's trying that hard to score a run when the third base coach didn't think it was a good idea for him to score a run. That's, that, it's contagious. That's, that's exactly what it is. All right. Um, by the way, not a great night for third base coach Dusty Wathen. Uh, early on in the game, he held Schwarber a foolish move. Uh, and there were a lot of people on Twitter that were saying, well, it was a good move because you got really good hitters coming up. It was not a good move because even if Schwarber gets thrown out at home, you still have those good hitters coming up. It's not the third out. It would have been the second out. So you could still forge an inning with two outs. You got to take a chance there to get aggressive. He got the third base on an aggressive dash to third. So – uh, let's go. So that was a bad call by him. Very too much of a conservative call by Dusty Wathen against the uh, Miami Marlins, who you kind of knew that their pitching staff wasn't going to last. You're going to be able to score runs against this team. So score a run early against them. Get, get on the board. Bad move by him. Uh, then he held, uh, he held Harper. Harper ignored it. And then later he waved on Castellanos, maybe because he's thinking, geez, I just held a couple guys. And it was a man mistake. So let me try to wave Castellanos home. And he gets thrown out. So basically, he was 0 for 3 last night. So, you know, that's not a big deal. But uh, Dusty was off kilter uh, in that game. Uh, all right. The other thing that stands out to me, this uh, Pache uh, Rojas uh, center field, left field dynamic. Uh, this whole season, you're worried about the defense in left field, whether Schwarber was ha going to have to play left field. 
Bryce Harper coming back to play first base has alleviated that problem. You still had a problem in left field because you really didn't know who who was going to play left field. Rojas has come up and uh, exceeded everybody's expectations to be the regular center fielder. So the only question is, who do you play in left field? And against the left-handers, you're thinking, okay, game one, would they send Marsh out there? But Rob Thompson is a guy who reads the tea leaves. He's saying Marsh is not hitting left-handers right now. So I can't put him out there. I've got to have a good defender out there with Wheeler. So let's go with Pache. And Pache gets a big hit in the first inning. Uh, he made he, he caught the, the line drive from Rise, the, the first batter of the game. He took a bad route to a play uh, in, in left center field when the ball was hitting the gap. I get it. Uh, but, but those guys got big hits for them early in that series. And uh, with their defense, if they hit, it, it's a double bonus. <coughs> so Marsh uh, will probably get the game one start in Atlanta. And uh, the question is, what will happen in game two? Uh, I guess that Marsh, if he has a big game, like a three-hit game against Strider in game one, may get a chance to play game two. But I'm thinking that Thompson's a creature of habit. And no matter what Marsh does in game one against Atlanta, they're going to come back with Pache and Rojas uh, with that uh, defensive outfield uh, display that those two guys give them. Uh, Okay. Thompson's relief core right now. I think he tipped his hand. He used Jeff Hoffman in a leverage situation. In game one. And so uh, I put the game, and he used Kirkering last night, which I thought was brilliant to get him some playoff exposure in the eighth inning last night. One inning, you get that guy used to that environment, pitching in the playoffs a whole bit. I thought that was really key. So right now, with his circle of trust, Rob Thompson's now got the following guys in leverage situations toward the back of a game. And they are, of course, Kimbrell, who I, I'm not so sure if he uses him as the regular closer or or against Atlanta, he goes by matchups. But certainly Kimbrell is the top guy still. Alvarado, he's going to use in high leverage situations late in the game. He's going to use Hoffman. Hoffman is the right-hander that he's going to bring in there other than Kimbrell. It's clear to me that Hoffman has moved into that role. And then he's got Gregory Soto. Another left-hander he'll, he'll use late. And then he's got Kirkering. I believe that Kirkering has now passed Sir Anthony Dominguez in the circle of trust for Rob Thompson. And that is why he used him last night in that eighth inning to just check on him to see if he was still there. He proved it last night with like nine pitches to get three outs. Got out of that inning. So I believe that Dominguez's only role would be in middle innings if the starting pitching doesn't go anywhere. In other words, if if he's got uh, Ranger Suarez pitching game one and Ranger struggles and Ranger has to get out of there by five innings, Dominguez will be a guy who's thrown in there. But I don't think he uses Dominguez in high leverage situations. I think that's the way it's going to play out. And again, he may have to activate um, Lorenzen for, for game one because – uh, of the uncertainty of Ranger Suarez in game one, with, with where you know Strider's going to go seven probably or beyond. Uh, he may need a guy in the fifth, sixth inning to get to the seventh where he can use those other high leverage guys. So maybe Lorenzen 
joins this uh, this staff, and they go with 13 pitchers in this series against Atlanta. That remains to be seen. Um, key part of, of last night's game was Nola picking off birdie. And, and you look at it, and you go, all right, that's a regular baseball play. But that's not a play that Nola normally would make. The rub on Nola is that he doesn't hold right base runners on, that, that it messes up his whole routine. He's slow to the plate. But they've been working on it with that. They're, and, and they're telling him, you got you got to use some different tactics. And he used it last night. It was beautiful because Birdie's thinking the same thing. He really doesn't pay much attention to me. I get the third base with one out. That's a better position. We're struggling to score runs here. I get a fly ball. I can score. That gives us a run. So let me get to third base. I've stolen a lot of bases this year. And what Nola did was he lollygagged it a little bit, and he tricked him. He raised his left leg and then spun off his right. And he caught Birdie going to third base. It's a great instinctive play by Nola, but only because they've been working on him with that. So that was brilliant strategy. The Phillies are coached from top to bottom. And that's the one thing you got to say about this team. That manager coaches them. The, the, Bobby Dickerson coaches them. Cotham, the pitching coach, coaches them. They've got a good bench coach. They're on top of most every situation. Um, okay, what else? Bryson Stott. Grand slam on a 0-0 pitch. Let me tell you something about Bryson Stott. 16% of first pitches is what he swings at. That happens to be the lowest percentage in baseball. 16%. So the pitcher with the bases loaded is thinking, okay, he's probably not a first, first ball fastball hitter. Let me try to get ahead of him. He doesn't swing at the first pitch. And so Stott probably reads that whole situation Gets a cookie to hit and smashes it for a grand slam. Just a great moment. This is baseball. This is just planning out in your head. And the Phillies had that down cold. They, they're ready for every situation here. Uh, okay. Uh, here's an example of why the uh, the Marlins were, were a little overmatched. And uh, that was the team struggling to score runs that I just mentioned about Birdie. You know, a team gets desperate, and they go, oh, my God, we're up against the crowd. We're up against two starting pitchers. Uh, we don't have enough in our lineup to come back in this game or to get on top of this team. So we got to try to do something extra. When you try to do something extra, you're not playing within yourself. And Birdie, trying to do some extra, is an example of how the Marlins were overmatched in this series. They were trying anything to get some runs across. So – they learned their lesson that they're not ready for prime time in this series. And the Phillies, meanwhile, just to keep steamrolling them. Um, Reese Hoskins. Interesting. Throws out the pitch, the first pitch of game one, and now is in Clearwater, Florida at the get ready camp where he's going to, for the first time, hit off of live pitching. I don't know what it means. I really don't know what it means. I guess the only way he can play is if this uh, is extended to World Series, where he's got all those days to work on the craft, to get healthier, and they somehow can use him in a World Series. I don't know where, where they would use him in a World Series thing. He can't, he can't start a game at DH, because if he starts a game at DH, then what happens to your left field situation? You've got to play Kyle Schwarber in left field. And in a World Series, I'm not thinking that the Phillies would want to deplete their defense and do that. But I guess it is a possibility. If they struggle to score runs against the Braves, they think they need a little more offense. They go into a World Series against whomever. Maybe they think they would need an extra bat. But it's really interesting 
that Reese Hoskins is going to go to Florida and face live pitching because they must have some kind of a plan for this. I just hope it doesn't defeat their defense in left field. And finally, I will tell you that the Phillies can't come back here 0-2. They have to win one game in Atlanta. And I don't know if, if, if Wheeler can win game two against Max Freed. That would be the game that I would think they would win. I'm looking at Strider. I'm, I'm looking uh, at, at Ranger Suarez. The Braves will be favored in that. Now, this is, would be the Braves' first game after some inactivity. So how sharp would they be? I don't know. Maybe the Phillies can steal that game one. But I'm thinking that the Braves come loaded and they win game one, and then it is up to Wheeler to stop it and win game two. And if the Phillies win game two, there is no doubt in my mind that they win this series. To me, that's the whole essence of this whole Wheeler's got to beat Max Fried in game two in Atlanta to bring it back here. And then you got Nola pitching with this crowd here in game three. If you take a 2-1 lead, that's big. That really is big. And you saw when the Phillies got the lead that series last year, how this crowd completely dismantled the Atlanta Braves. And why wouldn't the same thing happen? They're a better team. I get it. But playing in this environment is something special. It's something I never even anticipated that this town would be this kind of an intimidating baseball town. But that's what it's turned into. Okay. That's baseball today for the current on the Mike Missinelli podcast. So let's go uh, because there is a football season still going on. The Eagles at the Rams on Sunday at 4.05 game. So let's try to examine this game. I, I actually am a little afraid of this game. Now I look at the lines. When the lines are a little shorter than I expect, it worries me a little bit. Uh, and the Rams, to me, were not, are not a good team, but they're only a four-and-a-half-point underdog in this game. And I think this is going to be one of those games that the Eagles are going to have to win in the end and by the skin of their teeth, like a one-point win. Uh, so let's look at it. Now, last week, the Eagles got their passing game going. I mean, that was a big concern, whether we would be able to get their passing game going. They finally did. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 319 two touchdowns. He had a 112.3 rate and uh, he got 16 combined catches from his wide receivers. Um, AJ Brown and, and Devontae Smith. Now here's the thing about AJ. Since they had that little thing on the sidelines where he was upset that he wasn't getting targeted, he's been targeted. In fact, he got uh, a lot of targets in this game last week. And I, the one thing I worry about when it comes to that is what I call the, uh, the AJI. Now, this started way back in the day with the Philadelphia 76ers in 83 when they won the NBA championship. And uh, uh, they would, the teammates would, would, uh, would jibe Maurice Cheeks, the point guard, for always having uh, his eye on Julius Irving, wherever he was. Like he was, he was conditioned to always look to Julius Irving to get the ball to him. And the other players would say, uh, Mo, you have the doc eye. Well, right now, I think Jalen has the AJI because he complained. And so some of the plays they are forcing to him. Now, he's made some great catches and there have been some great patterns. Uh, but there were a couple of plays where Hertz had a, a wide open DeAndre Swift in the flat. A play that would have gone for a lot of yards, and, and he was singularly focused on A.J. Brown. 
And, uh, and if you remember the play where the Eagles are systematically moving the ball down the field, all they need to do is kill the clock and get a field goal to win the game in regulation. Well, he called a check at the line of scrimmage because he saw A.J. Brown had single coverage. Now, that play resulted in a great touchdown, but it also allowed the Washington Commanders time on the clock to come back down the field and tie the score to send it into overtime. And frankly, if Ron Rivera would have tried to go for a two-point conversion, they could have lost that game because of that decision. So let's get away from the AJI, even if he's complaining, and let's spread the ball around, and let's not be singularly focused because if you don't, he's going to give you a wrath of crap on the sidelines. It's the only thing I worry about. Now, the Rams secondary, pretty good. So we'll see how their passing game is. They're holding wide receivers to 75.2 rating. They only gave up 200 passing guards last week. I know it was the Colts, but uh, they've been pretty good all year in the secondary. Uh, Hertz did get pressured last week, which leads me to my next point. He, was, uh, he got eight hits and three sacks last week. And uh, the Rams have a guy named Aaron Donald who's all about pressure. Uh, the Rams have a 35% pressure rate on opposing quarterbacks this year. That's solid. So they're going to be coming after Jalen Hurts in this game. Hopefully, uh, they can withstand the pressures. Hopefully, he can spread the ball around to defeat those pressures and not stand in the pocket for too long, waiting for A.J. Brown to get open. That's my point on that. Matthew Stafford, the quarterback for the Rams, he's on a little bit of a heater right now. Threw for 319 yards last week. He has been over 300 passing yards in uh, three of the Rams' four games. But he's immobile. We know what Matthew Stafford is. He's going to stay in the pocket. He's going to try to deliver the ball down the field. The Eagles usually get a good push in the middle, which could prevent that. Uh, but they've got a couple guys they got to worry about. And the one is the, the surprise of the NFL, Paka Nakua. This kid came from nowhere. Now, just like Cooper Cup kind of came from nowhere. Then they got another guy. Um, he had nine more catches last week. For 163 yards in the TD. I mean, the guy's just been on fire. But here's the thing. Cooper Cup apparently is coming back this week. Both of these guys are slot receivers. What do they do? It's not like they're going to add Cooper. Maybe they can play Cooper Cup on the outside. I don't know. But those guys are best suited in the slot. So Cooper Cup coming back doesn't make that much of a difference because these, the guy has been replacing him has been going crazy. So I don't know if that's an advantage for the Rams uh, or not. Um, Stafford uh, is going to get pressured. You know, he has been pressured by everybody so far in the four games. 40% pressure they throw at Stafford because he's immobile. Well, why wouldn't you do that? So we may see some blitzes, and we got to get some end rushes. Uh, and Hassan Reddick broke the ice last week, got a sack. Maybe that is precursor of things to come. Uh, the Eagles did get 50% pressure rate on Sam Howell last week, kind of a similar quarterback, although Howell's much more mobile than Stafford, uh, and they got five sacks on him. So I do believe that this will be a very, very close game, uh, which means I like the Rams at four and a half, and I think that will be one of my picks for this week, the Rams four and a half. I don't think the Eagles will lose the game, so don't at me, all right? <laughs> All right, I think that's about uh, uh, it for today. Thanks so much for listening and uh, watching the Mike Missinelli podcast. we got a weekend of baseball and football, and we'll be back at you early next week to recap it all. Have a great rest of the day and have a great weekend. This is Mike Missinelli for the Bet Rivers Network, and we'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.